Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's what happened. I was at work one day when my co-workers started talking about a strange creature he had seen. Curiosity peaked. I asked him to describe the creature in detail. As he told me about it, I couldn't help but think it sounded familiar. I pulled up a picture of the Mothman on my phone and showed it to him, asking if the creature he saw looked anything like that. To my surprise, he said it did. Intrigued, I asked him to contact his friends who had been with him during the sighting and show them the picture as well. They all separately confirmed that what they saw looked exactly like the Mothman. My co-worker then recounted the entire story. Two years ago, in the city of Wilmington, California, near a massive ARCO refinery, my co-worker and three of his friends were hanging out in his backyard at around 2 a.m. One of them happened to look up and spotted a winged creature flying above them. He said it didn't do anything out of the ordinary, but it circled their group about five times before heading north toward the city of Torrance, where the Los Angeles International Airport is located. He added that they saw the creature again later that night, at around 4.35 a.m. 
This time it repeated its circling behavior, but only went around them two or three times before flying off towards the city of Long Beach. They never saw the creature again after that. My co-worker then mentioned that he thought he might have seen the Mothman again a week later, but he wasn't entirely sure, so he didn't provide any further details. The story left me feeling both fascinated and uneasy. The Mothman, a creature of urban legend, had always been something I read about, but never truly believed in. However, hearing my co-worker's account and the corroborations from his friends, I couldn't help but wonder if there was some truth to the legend. What was this winged creature that had appeared in Wilmington, and why was it circling my co-worker and his friends? I found myself looking up into the sky more often, scanning the horizon for any sign of the mysterious creature. The possibility that the Mothman was real sent a shiver down my spine, and I couldn't help but feel that the world was filled with more mysteries than I could ever truly comprehend. Several years ago, my friend Charlie and I embarked on a hiking trip to the breathtaking canyons of New Mexico. We were drawn by the promise of untouched landscapes and the sheer thrill of adventure. Little did we know we were about to encounter something that would change our perception of reality forever. It was our third day on the trail. We were in a remote part of the canyon, miles away from civilization. The sun was beginning to set casting long shadows across the rugged terrain. We decided to set up camp near the base of a towering cliff. As we were collecting firewood, Charlie suddenly froze. He pointed towards a spot on the cliff face. I squinted, trying to make out what he was pointing at. Then I saw it. A figure, pitch black, almost blending with the shadows. It was thin, unnaturally so, with long arms ending in what seemed to be claws. Its skin had an unnatural shiny black sheen, like it was coated in an oil slick. We stood there frozen, watching as it scaled the cliff with an agility that was both mesmerizing and terrifying. It moved like some sort of grotesque, twisted parody of Spider-Man, its long limbs contorting in ways that seemed impossible. Suddenly it stopped. Its head turned, and I felt a cold shiver run down my spine. It had noticed us. For a moment it seemed to consider us, its form eerily still, against the cliff face. Then, with a speed that made my heart pound in my chest, it scurried up the cliff and disappeared into the darkness. Charlie and I were left standing in stunned silence, the echoes of our encounter lingering in the air. We quickly decided to move camp, neither of us comfortable sleeping so close to the creature's haunt. To this day, we refer to that encounter as our Black Spider Man. I was hiking in the Catskills. I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but I come up to the Catskills fairly regularly throughout the year because sometimes the Poconos just get a little boring. I started at the trail head parking lot where I parked my car and began walking up the same trail that I've walked up 1,000 times. After about an hour, I started to feel kind of weird. It felt like the woods were a little bit quieter than they usually were when I had come up here before, but I wasn't initially very concerned about it. After I sat down to have breakfast, I started hearing rustling above me, and some sticks fell down right behind me. 
I wasn't really worried about this either, as I just assumed it was some squirrels running around or some chipmunks throwing things at me. This has happened to me before. I finished my breakfast without incident and kept walking toward the summit. This was fairly early in the morning, around 6 a.m., so I would think there would be a lot of birds chirping and a lot of other activity, but things just kept getting quieter and quieter as I ascended. This definitely creeped me out, but I tried to push it out of my mind because I've already been hiking for a while at this point, and I'm definitely not turning around. Eventually, more sticks fell to my right, somewhat close to me, and they sounded heavier. These were at the kind of small twigs that would generally fall from squirrel activity. I went over and checked them, and these were fairly substantial. This continued to happen in a higher frequency until I finally reached the end of the trail. On my way back, it happened continuously, increasing in frequency as I descended, until suddenly it just kind of stopped when I was about a mile from the car. When I finally returned to my car, I found all of the doors open, and it seemed like a lot of my stuff had been very violently rummaged through. I had a bag in there with some of my clothes in it, and this had been torn up. A lot of my clothes were outside of the car, leading back into the woods. I thought about calling the police, but I live in Philadelphia, so I knew there wasn't really anything that was going to happen. To this day, I still get freaked out when I think about it. I don't necessarily think it was connected, but I do feel really uneasy about both of these things happening at the same time. Then again, maybe I was just robbed. Fiance claims she heard someone yelling help from the woods. To give some perspective on the scenario, we live in an apartment complex at the edge of town in Illinois. Right next to us is a woodsy area full of coyotes and deer, and lots of birds, so it's pretty lively. Last night at 3 a.m., she went outside to grab a case of water from the trunk of our car, and when she was grabbing it, she claimed she heard someone say hello, in a girl's voice coming from the woods. She couldn't see anything, but she replied back, confused, saying hello back. Whatever it was ended up saying, can somebody help me? And that's when she got the chills and ran as fast as she could back inside our house. Right before she entered the house, she said she heard it again, with the voice getting closer asking for help. But instead of a normal girl voice, it turned into a girl voice. That didn't even sound real, and she couldn't explain the change in the voice. Plus, she said afterwards, thinking about it, that her voice sounded familiar, but couldn't point out whose voice. Why I believe she wasn't bullshitting is because two years living here, we've never talked about things like this. And when she rushed inside, she startled me because her face was in shock and she was breathing heavily. Like I thought she'd seen something or heard a gunshot. I don't know. My question is, she thinks it was a skinwalker because who be out at 3 a.m. asking for someone to help them in the woods? What do you guys think? I also read online that you aren't supposed to interact nor share the encounter you had about a skinwalker. She will be all right this one time sharing the story, I hope. For the past few nights, I've been kept awake by an unsettling noise. Something heavy moving across the roof. It's an old house, and every creak or groan it makes is familiar to me. But this, this was something different, something alien. 
It was heavy, rhythmic, almost like footfalls. In an attempt to understand the nature of the noise, my boyfriend agreed to go up on the roof during the day. We reasoned that if it was an animal, maybe it had left some traces behind. Plus, we could judge the weight of the creature based on how the roof responded to his weight. As he moved, I listened from inside, comparing the sounds. What we discovered was unsettling. Whatever was on our roof at night was significantly heavier than my boyfriend. Wolves had been spotted in our area recently, a pair seen trotting down the road one evening, their eyes reflecting in our headlights. But even a wolf wouldn't weigh more than my boyfriend. What was prowling our roof at night was much heavier. Then, a few nights ago, we heard something that chilled us to our cores. A barking sound that seemed to move swiftly across our yard. We heard it clearly despite being inside with the TV on. There was something off about the sound. Something that didn't sit right with us. It was unlike any dog's bark we'd ever heard. It was deeper, more guttural, and it had an unnerving quality to it that I couldn't put my finger on. The following morning, we found deep, large paw prints around our house and leading onto the roof. The prints were unlike any I've seen before, larger than those of a wolf, with longer claw-like indentations. Now we're left wondering, what creature is haunting our home? What prowls on our roof at night, watches us with unseen eyes, and barks with an eerie, otherworldly tone? The fear has seeped into our everyday lives, tainting every creak of the old house, every rustle of leaves in the yard. We've taken turns staying up at night, hoping to catch a glimpse of the creature. We've installed cameras around the property, their red lights blinking in the darkness. Yet every morning we find nothing but those large clawed footprints, a haunting reminder of our nocturnal visitor. One night my boyfriend suggested we venture out when we heard the sound again. Armed with a flashlight and his grandfather's old shotgun, we cautiously stepped outside. The yard was bathed in moonlight, the long shadows twisting and coiling like serpents. The barking started again, echoing through the silence of the night. We followed the sound, our hearts pounding in our chests. As we rounded the corner of the house, the flashlight beam fell onto the roof. What we saw in that moment, illuminated in the harsh white light, will forever be etched into my memory. A massive creature larger than any wolf, its body covered in dark, matted fur. It had glowing red eyes, and it was staring right at us. Its lips pulled back in a snarl, revealing sharp, glistening teeth. We scrambled back inside, locking every door, every window. We huddled in the living room. The image of the creature seared into our minds. We haven't been able to sleep since. We're still trying to make sense of what we saw, still trying to understand what this creature is. But one thing is clear. We're living in its territory, and it knows we're here. Our peaceful home now feels like a prison. And every night, as the heavy footfalls start on the roof, we're reminded of the terror. I remember a chilling story that was shared with me by my uncle and my dad. It happened during one of their jobs near a dense wooded area. It all began when my uncle mysteriously vanished, leaving my dad bewildered. Concerned for his brother's safety, my dad started searching the woods desperately trying to locate him. And then, 
Amidst the eerie silence of the forest, my dad stumbled upon my uncle frantically running around. Naturally, my dad was taken aback and demanded an explanation. What the hell are you doing? he exclaimed. But my uncle, his face etched with a mixture of fear and confusion, responded with something that sent shivers down my spine. I swear to God I heard someone calling my name out here, and I was trying to find out where it was coming from. That story has always haunted me. It's unsettling to think that such experiences are not uncommon. The idea of hearing phantom voices in the woods calling out to unsuspecting souls continues to send a chill down my spine. It's as if the forests hold secrets, whispering their mysteries into the ears of those who dare to listen. I have a story to share with you that left me quite intrigued. It involves my neighbor and a rather unexpected visitor. It was on January 6th or 7th of this year when this incident took place, and it's something that still gives me chills when I think about it. My neighbor, an elderly woman who lives about three miles away from me near Highway 101, had a startling encounter. She recounted that Bigfoot. Yes, you heard that right, Bigfoot paid her a visit on her back porch. Now, we do have quite a few bears in the area, and at first she assumed it was one of them causing the commotion. But when she went to investigate the noise, she realized it was something far more astonishing. Standing just five feet away, she caught sight of a silhouette unlike anything she had ever seen before. It wasn't a bear. She was certain of that. This figure, towering at five feet seven in height compared to her husband, had distinct features that set it apart. She was particularly struck by its large and thick neck, a feature she hadn't associated with Bigfoot before. It was an unexpected detail that caught her attention. As she observed the creature rummaging through her garbage can, she couldn't help but feel a mix of awe and curiosity. Bigfoot right there on her porch. The encounter was both exhilarating and unsettling for her. She mentioned that she and her husband have no dogs, so there were no other distractions or explanations for what she saw. I had heard tales and legends of Bigfoot before, but this first-hand account from someone I know left me amazed. The fact that Bigfoot would venture so close to human habitation, even in our quiet neighborhood, made it all the more captivating. It made me wonder how many other extraordinary encounters might have happened in our vicinity without our knowledge. Steve, another neighbor who relayed this story to me, mentioned that sightings of Bigfoot in our area weren't unheard of. However, this particular visit to my neighbor's porch added a new layer of intrigue and speculation to the ongoing mysteries surrounding this elusive creature. As for me, I find myself walking around with a newfound sense of wonder and excitement. Who knows what other extraordinary creatures or phenomena might be lurking just beyond our backyards. It's a reminder that there are still mysteries in the world waiting to be unraveled, and I can't help but be captivated by the possibilities. I have a fascinating story to share with you, one that happened to a man named John. It was a memorable evening when he and his wife decided to spend some time at Rooster Rock State Park in Oregon, right by the majestic Columbia River. Little did they know that their peaceful fishing trip would take an unexpected turn. 
It was around 2 a.m., and John found himself alone at the fishing inlet while his wife peacefully slept in their tent. The full moon illuminated the surroundings, creating an eerie yet beautiful atmosphere. As he cast his line, he heard a piercing and mournful scream that seemed to come from a distance. The sound sent shivers down his spine, filling the air with an unsettling presence. Curiosity got the better of John, and he turned his gaze in the direction of the scream. Tiften's vanishment, just ten feet away, stood a massive figure that could only be described as a ten-foot-tall Bigfoot. The creature didn't seem to pay any attention to John, its gaze fixed across the river. Rooster Rock, being known as a potential crossing point for Bigfoot, added a layer of credibility to this extraordinary encounter. As John stood frozen, he couldn't help but notice the creature's eyes. In the moonlight, they shimmered like silver dollars, eight inches apart, glowing with an intense fiery red. It was a sight that sent chills down his spine, filling him with a mix of fear and awe. Tannik started to take hold of him, but then something inexplicable happened. A message of peace and non-aggression echoed in John's mind, as if telepathically communicated. It was a calming presence, urging him to maintain a sense of peace and to back away slowly. He listened to the message, turned around, collected his fishing gear, and started to retreat. The encounter had left him in a state of shock and disbelief. In a day, as John packed up his belongings and left in his boat, leaving his wife behind in the tent, completely unaware of what had just transpired. Later, when she woke up and discovered her husband missing, she sought help from a friend to search for him. Little did she know that John had been arrested, a consequence of the encounter's aftermath. As unbelievable as it may sound, the couple returned to the site later, driven by a need for answers. Their disbelief turned into astonishment when they discovered deep and wide tracks, measuring 17 and 20 inches in length. It was evidence that something extraordinary had indeed occurred that night. John, now eager to share his story, expressed his intention to return and recount his experiences when he finds the time. However, he chose not to disclose his last name or any contact information for verification purposes, leaving his tale to be shared solely through word of mouth. This encounter with the enigmatic Bigfoot left John and his wife forever changed, their perspective on the world forever expanded. It serves as a reminder that there are still mysteries lurking in the shadows, waiting to be explored and understood. I've been a police officer in Salem City for over ten years now, and I've heard all sorts of strange stories from the locals. But one particular report still sends shivers down my spine whenever I think about it. It happened in the early spring of 1992, and it concerned a man named Dan and his girlfriend who were driving down Vitae Springs Road at around 10 p.m. Dan and his girlfriend were heading southwest of Salem when they saw something that they couldn't believe. A Bigfoot was standing in the middle of the road holding a large plastic garbage bag. The creature seemed just as startled as they were and dropped the bag before running off into the darkness. Curiosity getting the better of them, the couple checked the bag and found it filled with old coffee cups. They immediately reported the sighting to the police, and the cups were turned over as evidence. 
The witness kept some of the cups as a gag, but the rest were handed over to the museum for further study. The witness described the creature as black, standing on two legs, with ape-like features and no neck. It looked surprised when it saw them and then squawked before running away. It was a chilling experience, and I couldn't help but wonder what other strange creatures might be lurking in the shadows of our city. I decided to check the area around where the sighting happened, and I talked to a bookkeeper at a nearby furniture store. The bookkeeper had 20 acres of land nearby and had never experienced any problems or heard anything unusual in the past. However, he did mention that he heard strange howling sounds the year before. The encounter with the Bigfoot may seem like a wild story, but I believe the couple's account. There are still so many mysteries in this world, and we have yet to uncover all of them. As for me, I will continue to keep an open mind and investigate any reports that come my way, no matter how strange they may seem. I was admitted into a peculiar psychiatric facility in Texas due to my severe depression and uncontrolled heroin addiction. The facility, an impressive castle-like structure hidden within a dense redwood forest, was financed by my well-off parents. Ever since my stay there, I've been on a relentless quest to discover the truth about this facility. My suspicions of its involvement in McUltra, coupled with a peculiar encounter I experienced during my stay, fuel my obsession. Despite my rigorous research, I have unearthed scant information about this enigmatic institution, save for its location and a brief article about its inauguration in the 1940s. My parents, perhaps wanting to bury the past, have remained tight-lipped about the facility, leaving me in the dark. The primary reason behind my persistent investigation lies in a disturbing encounter I had within the facility's boundaries. Despite the facility's stringent surveillance, I distinctly recall wandering into the forest at midnight under the eerie glow of a full moon. I remember following some inexplicable presence until I reached a clearing. It was there that I saw it. A towering figure draped in shadows with a gaunt, almost skeletal figure, in skin as pale and translucent as moonlight. At first, I thought it was a hallucination, a side effect of the potent medication they had me on. But then it turned towards me, revealing deep-set eyes that shone a brilliant red in the moonlight. I was petrified, frozen in place, by an overwhelming sense of dread that washed over me. The creature was unlike anything I'd ever seen, more akin to a Sasquatch from folklore than any animal known to man. Even now, I'm unsure if that encounter was a hallucination brought on by my medication, or if I had been an unwitting participant in some Mike Ultra experiment. The memory of that eerie encounter and the creature's terrifying gaze continued to permeate my nightmares, driving my obsession to uncover the truth about the facility and what I experienced there. I am Josh, a park ranger stationed in the beautiful Yosemite National Park. It has always been my dream to protect and preserve the natural wonders of this place. Little did I know that one fateful night would forever change my perception of the park. 
It was a calm evening, and I was patrolling the vast wilderness, keeping a watchful eye on the park's visitors. As I made my rounds, I noticed an unusual stillness in the air, as if nature itself was holding its breath. I couldn't shake off the eerie feeling that something was amiss. As I continued my patrol, I stumbled upon a narrow path that seemed unfamiliar. Curiosity got the better of me, and against my better judgment, I decided to follow it. The path led me deeper into the heart of the park, away from the bustling crowds, and into the embrace of nature's secrets. The further I walked, the thicker the air became, filled with a strange scent that sent shivers down my spine. It was an odor I had never encountered before, a putrid stench reminiscent of rotting flesh. It clung to the very fabric of the forest, making each step more unbearable than the last. Just as I was about to turn back, a silhouette emerged from the shadows, towering over me with an otherworldly presence. The figure was impossibly tall, its limbs elongated and disjointed. It stood before me, its eyes burning like hot coals in the darkness. Fear paralyzed me as I gazed into those fiery depths, feeling as if it could peer into the depths of my soul. Without warning, the figure beckoned me forward, guiding me with an unspoken invitation into a nearby cave. Reluctantly, I followed, compelled by an unknown force that I couldn't resist. The cave was a labyrinth of shadows, the air thick with the same nauseating odor that had accompanied the figure. The walls seemed to close in around me, suffocating me with an overwhelming sense of dread. Suddenly, as if releasing its grip, the figure dropped me onto the cold cave floor and vanished into the darkness. My heart raced and I scrambled to my feet, stumbling my way out of the treacherous cavern. I emerged back into the night, gasping for breath and covered in cold sweat. The figure was gone, leaving only lingering questions and an indescribable sense of unease. Little did I know that while I was entangled in that surreal encounter, my father was battling his own demons. News reached me that very night, as I emerged from the depths of the cave, that my father had suffered a fatal stroke. The world around me seemed to collapse, and grief consumed my every thought. Since that night, I have been plagued by the memories of that encounter and the untimely loss of my father. Yosemite, once a place of solace and wonder, has become a haunting reminder of the strange and unexplained. I continue my duties as a park ranger, but the shadows now hold a deeper meaning, and the unknown lurks just beyond the reach of my understanding. The anticipation in the Thompson family was palpable as we embarked on our long-anticipated camping trip to Yellowstone National Park. It was a dream vacation, an escape from the hustle and bustle of our busy lives. Tom, my husband, Sarah, our two kids, Emily and Ethan, and I were eager to immerse ourselves in the heart of nature and create memories that would last a lifetime. The first few days of our trip were like scenes from a dream. We explored pristine wilderness, hiked along scenic trails, and marveled at the grandeur of the park's natural wonders. Our evenings were filled with campfire stories that made us laugh and shiver with delight. We gazed at the star-studded sky, feeling like a small part of something much greater. 
But then on the fourth night, as we gathered around the campfire to roast marshmallows, an airy silence fell upon the forest. The sounds of the night, once comforting, grew muted and distant. Our jovial conversation dwindled, replaced by a gnawing sense of unease. Suddenly the tranquility was shattered by a barrage of strange, inhuman noises that pierced the night. Low, guttural growls resonated through the trees, and the snapping of branches echoed ominously. Our once familiar surroundings had transformed into something sinister, something we couldn't comprehend. Fear gripped us, and we huddled together, clutching our flashlights and knives, hoping the light would ward off the growing unease. In the shroud of darkness, we glimpsed massive, shadowy figures lurking at the edge of our campsite. Our hearts raced as we realized we were not alone in this remote part of the park. Panic set in as we recognized the looming threat, a formidable predator whose nature remained a mystery. With adrenaline surging, we made a split-second decision to flee our campsite. I want to share my story. Approximately five years ago, I was driving home from my job as a correctional officer at Cook County Jail in Chicago, Illinois. My shift ended at 11 p.m., and it took me approximately 35, 45 minutes to drive home from work. As I always did, I would call my wife and let her know I was safe from my shift, and typically she would keep me company on my Bluetooth while I drove home. Every night when I drove home, I took Midlothian Turnpike a few blocks up the exit of the expressway. Midlothian Turnpike will also lead you to the location of Bachelors Grove Cemetery. Please research Bachelors Grove Cemetery. As I drove past Bachelors Grove Cemetery, a figure which I can only describe as a pterodactyl flew over across my car and across the road into the woods on the other side of the street. I screamed as I thought I was going to hit something. My wife is still on the phone now, yelling, asking me what is going on and if I was okay. I had to get my bearings together, but I was so scared. I thought about stopping at the gas station ahead, but I knew I was close to home. When I got home, we got a good laugh about it. Two days ago, I told this story to my boss. He asked if I knew what what Mothman was. I heard of it, but wasn't familiar on its stories. When I look back now, many things happened that I believe may have been a result of my encounter. I probably won't talk about this again, as I don't expect anyone to believe me, and I don't want to feed it any energy to come back. Thank you for being open-minded. If any of them here would like to know more or know someone who may want this info, please message me here. The legend of the skinwalker has always sent shivers down my spine. As a member of the Algonquin tribes, it's a tale I've heard countless times. It speaks of a sinister entity that can take the form of any creature it desires. It's said to be an evil witch, punished for using forbidden magic and doomed to roam the earth, sowing discord and feeding on fear. In our tribe, the skinwalker and the wendigo are often spoken of in the same breath. Both are embodiments of our darkest fears. The wendigo, a creature born of insatiable greed and cannibalism, is a grim reminder of the dangers of letting our desires overcome us. 
Despite the passing of generations, the terror these entities evoke remains ever-present, a shadow cast upon our people, especially when venturing into the vast... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Untamed wilderness of our ancestral lands. Not long ago, a group of ten friends, outsiders, all of them, decided to camp in these very woods. They crossed paths with me on their way. I noticed their excitement, their laughter echoing through the trees. A stark contrast to the quiet reverence we natives held for this land. I felt it was my duty to warn them about the legends about the skinwalker and wendigo that lurked in our folklore. Their response was nothing short of mockery. They laughed it off, joking about these fairy tales, their voices filled with youthful arrogance. I watched them go, a sinking feeling in my heart. The first night was filled with joy, but as the days passed, their laughter faded, replaced by an eerie silence. The tranquil forest began to whisper tales of terror. They reported strange noises, horrifying visions, and an unsettling feeling of being watched. Then, one by one, they began to disappear. Despite the growing fear, they refused to leave, their pride blinding them to the dareness of their situation. One night after the last embers of their campfire had died out, they all vanished. It was I who found their abandoned campsite. Tents torn apart, their belongings scattered haphazardly, and a chilling silence hanging in the air. Search parties were formed, and after days of combing the forest, we found them. Their lifeless bodies were a grim testament to their hubris. The legend of the skinwalker and the wendigo is not just a story. It's a warning, a lesson about respect and humility.
These friends learned it too late. Their fate serves as a chilling reminder to all who dare to venture into these woods, ignorant and dismissive of the ancient spirits that dwell within. It was back in the early summer of 1991, mid-June or perhaps early July, that something truly strange happened on my family's 300-acre property, located about a mile north of Cape Perpetua, near the coast of Yahats, Oregon. I was driving down our private access road. There were some hikers further ahead, enjoying the tranquility of the dense woods surrounding us. That tranquility was abruptly shattered when a massive creature darted across the road in front of them, disappearing into the underbrush as quickly as it had appeared. I can still remember how the sight of it took my breath away. It was enormous, about nine feet tall, covered in long brown hair. But what was most astounding was the speed at which it moved. One moment it was there, standing in stark contrast to the lush green of the forest, and in the blink of an eye it was gone, swallowed by the foliage. No sound accompanied its passage, no rustling of the leaves, no crackling of the twigs beneath its weight, and there was no distinctive odor that lingered in its wake. The creature left behind a single blurred footprint. I didn't bother to measure it. The details of the print were far too vague to make out any useful information, but the sight of it, so striking in its alien quality, cemented the reality of what I'd just witnessed. The sighting occurred in the late afternoon, around 4 p.m., with plenty of summer daylight left. At my nearby trailer, I kept four dogs, all chained to prevent them from wandering off into the wilderness. Despite their keen senses, they'd shown no signs of being disturbed by any unusual presence in the forest. Intrigued and more than a little unnerved, my father and I decided to explore the area where the creature had vanished. There, deep within the forest, we discovered a small pile of oyster shells. They didn't seem old enough to be remnants of an old Indian shell mound, despite those being common in coastal areas. Confused and fascinated, I decided to share my experience with a friend of mine, a park ranger named Time. He was a seasoned man, someone who had spent years patrolling the dense woods and had seen more than his share of wildlife. Despite being initially skeptical, Tim listened to my story and agreed to investigate the unusual find of oyster shells. I'm not sure what I expected him to say. Maybe I hoped he would confirm my suspicion about having seen Bigfoot, or perhaps dismiss it as an encounter with a rogue bear. But Tim, with his calm demeanor and sharp eyes, simply stated, The woods hold more secrets than we can fathom, Steve. We might never know what truly happened here. But that's okay. It's part of the magic. That encounter left me with a profound sense of Back in August of 2000, I witnessed something I still struggle to believe. I'm Jason Schaefer, a detective, and I'm about to share a peculiar encounter I had around 1.53 a.m. during a pursuit of three suspicious men in a vehicle. Blocking my path in the middle of the road was an eight to nine foot tall upright figure. I slammed on the brakes and stepped out of my car, needing to reassure myself that I wasn't seeing things. As soon as I did, the creature bolted probably at a speed of 40 to 50 miles an hour, and was clear across the highway in a blink, 
For more than half an hour after this encounter, I couldn't stop my hands from shaking so much that I couldn't even hold a cup of coffee. That location has been off my travel routes ever since. Many speculate that the entity I saw was some form of Bigfoot, but given the lack of other reported sightings at the time, I can't definitively say that's what it was. However, I've heard numerous accounts of what's being termed shadow people around the Atlanta area. This leads me to believe that many folks aren't reporting their encounters due to fear of ridicule or humiliation. Some may not even recognize the existence of these entities. I'm convinced there are countless people who've experienced paranormal phenomena without realizing it due to a lack of prior knowledge about these occurrences. That's the reason I'm sharing my story here. Feel free to share my experience with your friends and family, but I urge you to keep an open mind. Thanks for taking the time to read about my encounter. I've got this buddy who spent a few years working as a forest ranger in the United States. He has spun some spine, chilling yarns about his findings on the job, leading me to a startling realization. Either all forest rangers are in cahoots, sharing elaborately conceived tales for anyone curious about their work, or the wilderness is a trove of more mysteries than we can fathom. One tale that continues to occupy my mind, Brent, free is about this bizarre pit he discovered deep in the forest. He mentioned receiving reports about an excavated pit that fellow rangers had stumbled upon while patrolling, just a gigantic gaping hole in the middle of the woods. Being the curious type, he decided to investigate, and sure enough, he found the pit, a cavity in the earth about the size of a car, with an oddity at its center, a vintage record player in seemingly perfect condition. My buddy brought the relic back to the office, and the rest of the team filled the pit in. The record player became a forgotten mystery when no one came forward to claim it. A week later, they faced a reprimand from their superiors for failing to fill the pit, news that left my friend bewildered. He knew he and his colleagues had done so. However, they were met with undeniable evidence to the contrary when they returned to the site. The pit was there untouched without a trace of the soil they had used to fill it. The only change, the vintage cigarette case now lay in its center. My friend once again filled the pit, half assuming that there was some mischief at play, maybe some ritualistic actions. But it didn't add up. Again, nobody inquired about the cigarette case. So naturally, he kept it. Days later, reports came in. The pit was back. The rangers were tired of the games. They took a small security camera with them, intent on catching the pit excavator. What they found this time was a small, old, leather-bound notebook. They installed the camera, filled the pit, and left. The pit never returned. Whoever was digging it seemed to have been scared off by the camera. However, the curious part wasn't over. My friend had the collected items examined, confirming their authenticity in remarkable condition. A peculiar way for a vintage collector to store their treasures. But the strangest discovery was in the journal. A newspaper clipping dated April 17, 1972, and one cryptic phrase, it worked. Another story involves a kid who emerged from the woods one day. He was slightly dirty, standard for a child after a day's play. Clad in a t-shirt and jeans, there was nothing odd about his appearance. 
The rangers found him and took him to one of their offices to inquire about his parents, his presence there. He said he had lost his family while chasing a beetle in the woods. The kid seemed normal, but he had a unique accent, making English sound like a well-learned second language. When asked for his parents' names, he replied with 98 into 54. They probed for their real names, but he just kept repeating those alphanumeric sequences, confused by their questions. They tried to ask him for his parents' contact numbers, how long he'd been lost, or any other identifying details, but to no avail. All the questions seemed foreign to him. Suddenly, the boy announced that he had made a severe mistake, bolted from the office, and disappeared into the forest. The rangers pursued him, but he was too swift. They searched the forest extensively, but found no trace of him. Search and rescue teams were summoned. Missing posters were distributed. Social media shares were circulated, and the police even got involved at some point. But the child was never seen or heard from again. After searching extensively and covering as much terrain as possible, they found nothing, not even a footprint. Everyone braced for the inevitable moment when worried parents would show up, asking about their missing child. But no one ever came. As time passed, the search efforts waned. The boy's story became a missing person's report with only a generic physical description to go by and the unusual names of his alleged parents. 98 into 54, among the rangers, it became somewhat of a taboo topic. Nobody wanted to ponder the grim possibilities of where a child lost in the woods might have ended up. Yet even with the scant hope of ever uncovering the truth, my friend holds a firm belief. That boy was not merely lost, but somehow purposefully placed in the woods. He entertains the possibility that the kid might have been a product of an extraterrestrial entity masquerading as his parents. It's a peculiar case indeed, and one shrouded in an aura of suspicious activity. After the search died down, any mention of the incident on social media was pulled down. Documentation that had been released was suddenly redacted. Everything about the case... To this day, reeks of fishiness. But these are just two tales from my friend's time as a forest ranger. There's no shortage of eerie stories he's shared with me over the years, and whether it's all a grand inside joke amongst rangers, or the woods truly hold inexplicable mysteries, I may never know. All I do know is that his accounts have left me with a newfound sense of wonder and a dash of unease about what lies hidden in the depths of our forests. My mom has worked at a small rural hospital for about six years now. She is the ER receptionist, so she is the first person you see when you come into the emergency room, the one to give you all the paperwork to fill out and such. Throughout these six years, she worked mostly nights, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., and has seen quite the cast of characters the town has to offer. Every transient druggie and local has passed through that lobby, and she has seen each one at least twice. But one night, she encountered something she had never seen before or again since. Back in the first year, my mom was quick to get the hang of things, so she was left alone to work the counter. The ER faced the parking lot so she could see people coming in from far away and anticipate their moves. One night at about 2 a.m., she was working on her computer, looked up, and was surprised to see two people standing there. 
a man and a woman just standing there staring at her, and she stared back. The parking lot was dark, no car in sight, and they just appeared. After a long moment, they came into the lobby and went right up to the desk. My mom said the alarm bell started going off in her head that something wasn't right. For one thing, they were very tall. The desk my mom sat at would come up mid-chest to an average person. With these people, my mom could see the pelvic bone of the woman. They were dressed for hot weather because it was summer. They were also very skinny, and my mom emphasized this, very dry-looking. But they didn't look like your typical druggies. The woman kept stroking her neck with long fingers, saying she had a sore throat. My mom, for the first and only time, didn't say a word. She just looked at them. A word kept repeating in her head, Stragoy. As my mom looked at them, the woman looked to the man, looked back at my mom, then to the man again, the whole time just smiling and stroking her throat, and said to the man, Do you think she will let us through, or should we go somewhere else? My mom stayed silent as the woman repeated the pattern of looks. Then they both smiled at my mom and left. Almost after, my mom texted me asking if vampires needed permission to enter places like hospitals. I told her, since she was technically the person to say, who went back to the ER, they would need her permission. We both knew that Stregoi was a type of Romanian vampire mythos, and that was the word she kept hearing in her mind. She has never seen that couple again. And we still talk about what happened. And it does make me wonder when I hear about stories of black-eyed children and other tales of vampires, what did she see that night? And how close was she to something unreal? This happened to me and my friend around 9.30 p.m. on a Saturday, if I recall. I live in an area where not much goes on and is pretty safe for the most part. Anyways, me and my friend are dumb teenagers, both male, that love urban exploring. Our favorite sites to explore are tunnels. Around 7.30 p.m. one night, me and my friend were exploring some sites around the park two blocks away from our house, full of small tunnels to explore. We felt a little weird because we felt as if we weren't alone. There were a couple of disc golfers, but we had just watched them leave. So at this point, the park was completely empty. My friend and I were just exiting a small tunnel to get back to the park as we were waiting for the disc golfers to leave so we could go to the next secret spot, which were train tracks that are sometimes in use. To get into the train tracks, you have to go through an off path in the woods that has a few curves, so it was hard to see. My friend lead the way. A few seconds later, I thought I had lost him, so I yelled his name. Here's when things got weird. I heard what seemed almost like a distant yell or shout from the train tracks. I thought he had sped up, so I jogged up ahead and eventually ran into my buddy that was just around a curvy turn. I asked him if he was okay, and he replied yes, like nothing had happened. A little suspicion ran through my mind, so I asked him if he had yelled at me from the tracks and had come back to get me. Shockingly, he didn't. He was waiting for me, just at the turn, and he also said he heard the yell. Well, my friend and I are idiots. Instead of going back, we quietly continued to the tracks when we got up to the bridge with the train tracks. There was absolutely no one or nothing up there. Although I felt like we were being watched from the trees or something, 
I let my friend know about this feeling, and we quickly stopped throwing rocks into the creek and headed back to the park. I knew something was wrong as we were leaving. I just couldn't put my finger on it. We played around on the basketball court at the park before we left. Due to the creepy vibe, my friend and I decided it was best to take the main road back instead of the shortcut through the woods that led to our neighborhood. It was around 9.30 now, my friend and I were talking about what we should do all night, because he was spending the night. The park has a soccer field across the street from it, so it has two gravel parking lots that are sort of hidden by the trees. As we were walking past one of the gravel lots, I felt what seemed like a warning from my body. I passed it off as nothing, but as we crossed the street from the gravel lot, here's where things started getting really creepy. I could see someone come out of the shadows of the gravel lot. They had appeared to be wearing very dark clothing and a hoodie to cover their face. I was throwing red flags everywhere. The way that they came out of nowhere was so subtle and perfectly timed. It felt as if they were waiting for us to cross, to start following us. My friend hadn't seemed to notice the strange figure. I told him to jog up ahead a little. He seemed confused, so I pulled him close to me and told him what had just happened. He seemed anxious, so we picked up the pace a little. Every once in a while, I would look over my shoulder to see where he was. Every time I looked, he would be at least three feet closer to us. I could hear the figure's eerie breathing. Thank God we were close to an alley shortcut that no one really uses but me and my friends. To get to it, you go up a little hill left of the street. I saw this as an opportunity. I mumbled to my friend, use the alley. He quickly nodded, yes. The second we made it to the hill, we casually jogged up ahead to the alley. I told my friend to wait for a second. I peeked over to the street from the alley, and there I saw them. What appeared to be a man in his thirties was making his way towards us very quickly. I could see his eyes now. They were staring directly at me with an evil look. I told my friend to bolt up the damn alley to his house, which was connected to the alley. We had never ran so damn fast. We made it up to the street and take a sharp turn to the left. We had lost him at this point. We sprinted through his front door and locked every single entrance. We turned off all the lights and hid for what felt like an hour. Thank God he was nowhere to be seen. I have never seen this person ever again, and I hope not to. When I was a kid around seven years old, my grandma would often take my sister and me swimming at the river. I can remember one incident as clear as day, and it still sends shivers down my spine. Grandma, always engrossed in her Facebook scrolling, rarely paid close attention to our antics. My sister and I weren't accomplished swimmers, yet we loved the water. One day, while we were splashing around, a group of older kids approached us. They dared us to venture into the deep end of the river, and despite our limited swimming abilities, we took up the challenge driven by youthful naivety. As I was wading deeper into the river, I saw what I thought was my sister struggling in the water. But something was off. Even though my sister was smaller than me, the figure in the water seemed larger, more ominous. Despite the fear creeping into my heart, I instinctively wanted to help. But as I took a step toward her, the riverbed dropped off sharply into the deep end, and I found myself drowning. Just when I was sure I wouldn't make it, the older kids yanked me back to the shallower water.
saving me from what could have been a tragic accident. Meanwhile, my grandma was blissfully unaware of the near catastrophe, her eyes still fixed on her phone screen. It's the aftermath of the incident that still haunts me. My sister had somehow reappeared, safe and unharmed, oblivious to the horrifying scene that had just transpired. But the thing that I can't shake off is the fact that the struggling figure I saw in the water was not my sister. Not only did the size not match up, but the cold, unblinking death stare that she, or rather it gave me, is still etched in my memory, and its disappearance was just as sudden and inexplicable as its appearance. There was no way my sister could have swum that fast or disappeared that quickly. So what did I see in the river that day? A trick of the light, a figment of my imagination, or something more sinister. I guess I'll never know. But one thing's for sure, it wasn't my sister. Growing up, I was always drawn to the mysterious, the eerie, and the unexplainable. Cryptids, paranormal activities, and monsters that lurked in the shadows held a fascinating allure for me. Much of this curiosity was stoked by a story my father would often tell me. The tale is an important piece of my childhood and a kernel for my interest in the supernatural. My father grew up in the scenic expanses of Oregon, a place replete with lush woods and towering mountains. One day, while he was still a young boy, he accompanied his father, my grandfather, on a trek into the forest. This particular expedition left a deep impression on my father and became the subject of a story he would recount time and again. As they delved deeper into the verdant wilderness, they were suddenly assaulted by a nauseating stench. It wasn't the earthy smell of decay or the sharp tang of wild animals. This was something else, something unfamiliar and unsettling. As they continued, they heard the ominous sound of something large moving through the trees and brush ahead of them. The source of the sound was hidden from view, concealed by the dense foliage, but they could hear it moving. The crunch of branches underfoot, the rustle of leaves. Then, just as abruptly as it started, the noise ceased, replaced by the usual sounds of the forest. Driven by curiosity and perhaps a touch of fear, they decided to investigate. Upon reaching the spot, they were astounded to see branches broken off at a height that suggested a tall creature had passed through. It was as if something enormous, something taller than a man, had ambled through the woods, leaving only snapped branches and a lingering stench as evidence of its presence. Though the story might seem thin on specifics, the mystery it presented was enough to enthrall my young mind. Every time my father would recount it, I'd hang on to his every word, visualizing the scene and imagining what the creature could be. Every time I looked at the sprawling forests and majestic mountains of the Pacific Northwest, I would feel a twinge of excitement. It seemed all too plausible that something could be hiding in those vast, unexplored areas. And to this day, the possibility of uncovering such hidden creatures and unraveling their mysteries continues to stoke my fascination for the unknown. A friend and I came across this amber-eyed creature on April 15, 2023, in Pattison, Texas, Waller County. It was around 11.30 p.m. 
when we cut through Morton Road. We backed out of that dirt road so fast and then drove south on Durkin and the left onto Royal Road, while the entire time looking over to the open field with our spotlight and the one rifle in the truck. Once we made a ride onto 362 and headed south, we began feeling a bit more relaxed. We then took it all the way south to 359 and then made a left on Highway 90 and didn't stop till we made it to our friend's house. We were coming from Pattison, Texas, where one of my other friends lives. We also like to go through that patch on Morton Road during the day because it is like off-roading. We originally thought of heading to Royal High School on Royal Road, but we instead decided to turn left and off-road at night when we drove past Morton Road. It is the reason why we were so chilled about coming across what we thought was a large dog till it turned around and stood on two legs and growled at us. Its growl was deep but low. It rattled the entire truck. One of my friends told me that the only thing they remember was the sound it made while breathing, which was that of a horse. My buddy's truck is lifted, and usually when I stand in front of the hood, it is around the high part of my chest. I'm five feet eight, but when this thing stood up, you could see most of the waist area, so it had to be taller than me. I can't give an exact measurement, because I just don't know. All I know is that it wasn't a bear. I've seen black bears before. The spotlight caught it, and it looked like my buddy's German Shepherd with amber, looking eyes. Maybe it was a big koi dog or koi wolf or a bear with mange, but it was pretty tall and wide. It happened so quick, so we put it in reverse and got the hell out of there and drove all the way to Katy without stopping anywhere. Then we barricaded ourselves in it with our R-15s and shotguns, sitting there in the middle of the dark with our backs to each other for the rest of the night. We didn't leave the house until midday on Sunday to check the dashboard camera which had recorded over the entire incident the previous night. Our cell phones recorded nothing but jumble, and my buddy's dog wouldn't come near the truck as it kept whimpering around it with its tail behind its legs. The dashboard camera recorded all the data on Sunday. We went through it, and it was from when the truck was parked at our friend's house. The cell phone quality was so bad we erased it. I dropped my phone on the floor of the truck and didn't find it until Sunday afternoon. It is not something we were planning for, like most of the videos you see on the web. Monday morning came around, and we all call in sick because we refused to get out of the house until the sun was out. This obviously upset our parents, who thought we were being irresponsible, and we finally grew the courage to return to Morton Road on Monday afternoon. Our six trucks enter Morton Road off Durkin Road with high-powered semi-assault weapons, shotguns, and hunting rifles. We didn't find any tracks either, which is weird because it had rained heavily the past few days, so the ground was soft and there was standing water on Morton Road. The only thing we found was this perverse stench, like something had died mixed with metallic smell, blood, and urine ammonia. The dogs we brought with us, two German shepherds and two others, were all whimpering nervously around the site like they didn't want to be there. After the incident, I spent the rest of April just reading everything I could at about dogman encounters. My other three friends don't want to talk about it either, and one broke up with his girlfriend of three years because he just refused to spend the weekend hiking with her through the Addicts Reservoir hiking trails. 
They got back together after we were able to get him to open up about it, but I'm the only one that has put this out to the public. It has been a month, and I still refuse to be out later than sundown. I don't leave the house early in the morning anymore to go to the gym at 5 a.m. In fact, I have changed my life around completely, and that includes no more before. Bed walks at night with a dog. I'd have installed security bars on all my first-floor windows, added spotlights to my entire home, and places better security cameras. I also no longer drive through country roads even during the day, especially by myself because I feel exposed. Last week I refused to go fishing on the Brazos River and turned down heading for the weekend to Lake Conroe. I'd always wanted to go fishing at the end of East Matagorda Bay, but to get there one would have to off. Rode on a 4x4 west from Matagorda Beach on a dirt trail for about 15 miles. Yet after this experience, I'd no longer feel safe. I just want to go back to being ignorant about the things that go bumping about at night. It was a cold evening in January 2023 in Navajo Summit, Arizona. I had my two nieces with me. One was six, the other eight. I'd gone to our family cabin, waiting on my sister to return from town. The evening started at about 7 p.m., and we didn't have a key to the house. We waited for a couple of hours, and the girls eventually fell asleep in my truck. As the night continued, the temperature also dropped. I fell asleep as well. I woke around 9.30 p.m. It was very cold in the truck. I started the vehicle. As I depressed the brake pedal to start the truck, I noticed in the side mirror a face looking at me from the glow in the tail light. I hesitated to look at first, but gathered enough courage to observe it again. I saw a white face with long gray-white hair and black eyes looking at me. I freaked out. Once I started the truck, I sped off and headed to the highway, not sure if what I saw was following us. It was, I continued down the highway in a panic. After a few minutes, I felt as if something had jumped into the bed of my truck. I turned west to head towards a town called Ganado. I went as fast as I could to my parents' house. Upon reaching the turnoff, I felt it jump out of the truck and watched the same white-haired entity run along the right of way fence. As I pulled up to the house, I quickly carried my nieces inside. Once inside, I situated the girls for bed. Later that night, I dreamed that I walked about two miles to my aunt's house. No one was home. As I walked back home, I noticed this same white-haired thing paralleling me. I quickly ran home, went inside, and locked the door behind me, and then went to bed. As I woke the next morning, I noticed sand and dirt at the foot of my bed. I told my parents of what had happened and of what I had dreamed. Since we are native Navajo, they took me to a medicine man, and he told me that I actually sleep walked to my aunt's house, and when I entered the house, it followed me in. Totally freaked me out. Did I encounter a skinwalker? The medicine man refused to answer my questions, but my father is still vigilant and believed that I was the target of a native witch. <laughs>